Welcome to Incommunicado, a weekly podcast exploring communication and the weird and wonderful realm of modern language. There's a special part of communication that's scorned by many, understood by few, but loved by us, and that part is jargon. Using jargon as a starting point for discussion, we want to delve deeper into what communication really is, how we communicate in our day-to-day lives, how we develop meaning through language, and how we can better navigate it. In each episode, we will be joined by a guest, delving into some of the big questions that we have. Why do we use jargon? When do we use it? Could we live without it? And when does it leave us incommunicado? Welcome to today's episode of Incommunicado, and today we see uh, one of our guest speakers coming in to talk to us about jargon in their lives. Please welcome Lind. Linda is a recent master's graduate of creativity, innovation and business strategy from the University of Exeter. She is an experienced filmmaker, photographer, marketer and producer, and we are delighted to have her with us today to discuss jargon, communication, language and all the wonderful stuff that we do on this podcast. So, Lind. Welcome. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Pleasure to be invited by my dear friend Amy to do this podcast with everyone here. So um, for those of you who are new to the podcast, I'm James and I'm a creative director of James Sterling Creative, a video communication and content marketing business. I also have with me James Burford, another recent music technology graduate from the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. And he works as a freelancer in marketing with a specific focus on managing social media campaigns. And of course, we have Amy Borchard, a creative consultant specializing in HR strategy for museums and culture. So we've got a real broad range of creatives with us today, and I am fascinated to get into film and jargon and how it works for you, Lynn. So I have a question to kick us off. It's a really short question, but I think it'll open up a big uh, conversation. So I want to know what you think about this. How useful is jargon? I think for me, for according to my experience, it is useful to make internal communication within an organization easier. Uh, for example, when I was working in one of the um, marketing agencies in China, like the first day at work, I was introduced to all those like terms like UV, P, uh, PV, ROI, PPC, things like that. And uh, later on, I found like when I'm talking to my colleagues, if I use them, it just make it, um, easier for me to talk to them about certain like data uh, whereas like if I don't use them I well, have to say them in like Chinese and then like that term is way longer than these abbreviations so you found it to be quite a shortcut yeah yeah so that's something that we've discussed before actually is that um, this idea of jargon being a shortcut in communicado guys what, what do you think of what Lynn's just said yeah, I think so. I know that, Lind, we've spoken about this before very briefly, but the idea that the jargon that you use is not translatable into Chinese. Like translated into Chinese, that would be like really, really long. Mm-hmm. And it just takes a long time for us to talk about those those tiny little figures. And it would also like if you're on an like big Excel sheet, try to analyze um this this week's like data Mm. if you use chinese that would be like this big and then it's just like like the the tiny 
a little number in the column. Whereas like if you use like UV or PPC or that kind of like abbreviations, it's just, uh, it makes your mm. sheet look mm. prettier. So, so not only are you economizing on, on, on space, obviously you're, you're economizing on time as well. And I wonder if when we do choose to use jargon um, in, our, in our industries, obviously there's, would you agree that there's a, we have a reliance on the other, on the people that we're speaking to, to, to be on a, a similar a level to us uh, so that they will understand the jargon. Because obviously if, if I start talking about the things that I do uh, to someone who hasn't got a clue, it's actually going to take me longer to then try and explain exactly what I mean. How do you feel about that? I would say like jargon sometimes is like a language. You have to learn it first in order to achieve the, uh, the result of um, communication. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I wonder then if you found any use or if you found any difficulties using it in your filmmaking. How often do you work with other people or a crew? I feel like because I make I make short films like mm-hmm. as some like an interest in the past, like when I was in uni, I don't really get that many chance to uh, work with like like in that people from the industry. Yeah, yeah. Usually I just like find my friends to come and work with me. Of course I know like some jargons like in filmmaking like like different sizes of the shot and mm-hmm. like different camera movement and stuff but then like because i was the i was basically doing everything yeah, sure. so the, yeah. the, the communication <laughs> so it's yeah like an internal dialogue right mm. yeah i had internal dialogue like within my mind yeah. to just talk to myself but i don't really like talk to other people that often uh there are times that i i use them but then uh because uh the person that that was on set helping me um he's from china so like the jargon that i used that which i learned from the uk they they don't work So there's um, a spoken language barrier as well between even if you're using terms to go back to your marketing, even if you're using terms like ROI and PPC, they they just have they're, they're almost symbolic, aren't they? It doesn't really matter what they stand for in another language. You just know what that symbol is and how to report it i suppose so then this idea of filmmaking jargon not translating over to china is really interesting because you've got you've got words that mean specific things like physical things that actually exist in the world like your lens sizes or your um you know your filters or your lights or whatever and then that that doesn't translate i mean do you have jargon in other languages i would have thought you do yeah. Yes, yes, it, it's it is actually translatable, but it's just one jargon being translated into another jargon. <laughs> okay, but yeah, these, but they have the same meaning. They they have the same meaning, but then you don't know that they have the same meaning <laughs> unless <laughs> might, you know both languages. Is that what you mean? Unless you've worked in both industries, or unless you you, you got, you've decided to use like to unify it to use one. Because, like, actually, in marketing, we have words for PPC. I, I would say it is also a jargon, but we don't use it because it's it's too long. Sure. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you've done a lot of, well, you've done some filmmaking for a cultural lab in Exeter called Make Tank. So what Linda has been doing is recording these documentary style videos for artists and residents at Make Tank. And it's basically filming the artist process um, from beginning to end. And my question to you, Linda, because I'm not, I can't remember if the, per the person that you were doing this for has a solid understanding of filmmaking. But what was that process like of working with them to film them um, and their process? Were you using jargon and technical language when you spoke to them? Or was it very much you're the observer and they are just doing their thing? I think my client has some knowledge uh, about filmmaking. So sometimes I used some jargons when communicating. But then later on, when I was editing the film, we communicated in a quite normal, just like normal conversational way. He wanted me to uh, not use too many phase or dissolve, just want the cut simple. And um, he wanted me just to cut on the beat, something like that. That's like in, in the email. So, yeah, we, we, won't, we were not using that much of um, Jordan in that project. Mm -hmm. No, I yeah. found that really interesting. So even though he does have an understanding of filmmaking, like he was using terms like dissolve and fade. I just found it interesting, like from that creative perspective, how much autonomy did you have to kind of do that edit and put it through post-production? And ha how much involvement does a client have? I feel like this this film is quite different from the ones that I've made in the past because this one is like commissioned. So I I feel I gave my client more freedom to because I'm making this film for people. So I feel like I need to achieve the result that they want that they want to want me to achieve. In the very beginning, I cut it. I cut one version, and it wasn't so like satisfying because I have like a personal style of using like keeping all the shots quite long. But then, if it's um, uh, something commercial, uh, people will get really bored, especially like in this era, everyone likes like TikTok oh, quick, videos. Quick, 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 quick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, quick cuts. So I have to adapt. So I. Basically, the first demo that I made is like five minutes, but then the final result is only like two minutes. I only kept wow. all the um, important bit. Yeah. So can I ask what the objective of the film was? Was it for marketing for that artist? Was it for marketing for Make Tank or was it a narrative? What, what, what was the idea? What was the objective of the film? So the artist has a new project and um, I was invited to record um, his process. Mm -hmm. But also this film is used as... Um, um, like a promotional film for the um, uh, for the uh, the art space for the space. Okay, yeah. Okay, that's really interesting because we're moving on to something that is you know your core, which is visual communication. The film is made to promote the space. How do you promote the space? You film the process. How do you portray the process in a way that makes the space look good? That's kind of the brief, isn't it? So you're you're trying to communicate that this art can be produced in this space and this space is worth uh, checking out, basically. That's the whole point, isn't it? Like you, you want other artists to come and see the space. You want potentially Arts Council funding so you can show how good the space is or you want people to come and enjoy the space as, public, as members of the public. So I find it quite interesting that your um, a long shot style wasn't satisfactory for that because a long shot could potentially show you more of the space itself. Whereas quick, short cuts will give you, yeah, they'll give you all the important bits. 
but they might not give you an holistic approach to what the space is all about. So how did you, do you think then cutting up all those bits is like a visual jargon? Yeah, yeah, I've definitely used like uh, uh, establishing shots, like mm -hmm. the shots shots of like empty space or like a, yeah. a tray of the, um, an empty tray with liquid in it. But in a shorter version, whereas like in, in the first demo, I kept it like really long, mm -hmm. not just one or two seconds, but like way longer than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, yeah. Amy just mentioned this film this morning, so we, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out as soon as um, as soon as I finish this podcast. But where where um, where is that at the moment? Is that with Make Tank? Is it publicly available? Sorry, or is it still in in edit? No, it's publicly available. It is publicly uh, publicly available yeah. um, on Make Tank's okay. socials. So we'll put a link to that on our website, and um, we'll link it out in the in the post as well. So I have a. Another question, which is to do with non-verbal communication. In your particular field, whatever it might be, because we all know that you do so much, but how do you use non-verbal communication in, uh, a, in a field that you choose? I kind of enjoy like drawing things on paper to try to like convey what I uh, convey the meaning. Like when sometimes when it's really, really, I've worked in like a, um, club before and um as a photographer because the music was super super loud so i was just like drawing and typing on my phone just to show people that yeah what i what i want and what i want what i'm trying to do yeah okay so would you use uh i mean i i know i keep talking about filmmaking but the the obvious one to me is um storyboarding yeah as it, like that's what you're saying is when you're uh um, taking photos in a club and you have a drawing of a particular type of pose or type of shot that you want to take that to me that's a kind of non-verbal shortcut that's um that's a good way of getting everybody on board so how much of that sort of non-verbal communication do you use mm, at the very beginning like when i firstly started to make film i used a lot of storyboard because i sometimes i feel i don't know what i want and I have to plan every step carefully. But later on, I feel when I'm more experienced, I I have like a certain image in my mind, and I I can just like type it in 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 my notes and say like I want a shot like this, like this. And when I'm actually like on set. So, what's the best experiment that you've had so far in how to shoot the scene or how to get people to understand what you want out of the scene? There's one time that I didn't make any plan. I just took a camera and just shoot. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy. I know. And I was, um, I, I kind of regret afterwards because some, I, there were like clips that I can't use at all. But then that was kind of exciting, you know, like as a, as a creator myself, because I was doing, <laughs> sometimes I enjoy doing things last minutely and that's kind of like where the excitement comes from. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I actually do what you just described all the time. So I just turn up to a place with a camera and a tripod and whatever, you know, I just have a car full of gear usually. And I, I sort of get the product or I get the I get a feel for the service and I'm like, hmm, okay, what am I gonna shoot? That that's just become my process, but sometimes I wish I could plan a little bit more. Because in the moment, I use a lot of technical language, especially if I have an assistant with me. I expect them to know 
exactly what it is I'm trying to say. And because I don't storyboard, because I don't really use a lot of non-verbal communication to produce what I produce, then it can it can be quite tricky and it can be quite stressful and it can be quite fractious. But the interesting thing about a medium like video is that when you, it, essentially it can be non-verbal communication. You sometimes have to train your audience into what these things mean. So if you've gone in with a theme of your of a film, let's say it's a fictional film, and uh, your theme is something like um, chaos, how do you express that you know a broken ashtray represents chaos? I mean, do you come across challenges like that in your visual work? Do you have to explain to your client, well, I'm I'm doing this shot because X Y Z? No, I don't. <laughs> I do. I do little explanation. I feel like the people I've worked with, they, they, they would like they trust me, and then they don't that really like question me that much. Mm-hmm. Like even after like going back to China, I've I've worked on some uh, commercial like. Uh, fashion stuff she didn't question me about anything she just let me do my thing as long as I present her with with a good result because I was again like working on my own so yeah that doesn't require that much communication so this is kind of moving away a bit from the work that you do Lind but you made a really interesting point about film and I think those of us who watch a lot of film for example, I'm obsessed with horror film. So when you're talking about jargon in terms of, I mean, in the context of film, sometimes it can be a matter of, like you say, like you use the establishing shot for a very particular reason. You use an ashtray to represent this and that. So I think that's really, really interesting because I do have a lot of friends who don't watch a lot of film. So for example, if we're watching a horror film, I will often be like, that was so obvious what they're trying to do there. Or, you know, they've used that shot and we know what's coming now. Or they've used that sound and I now, you know, I'm not impressed because it was so obvious, like almost like a cheap shot because it, it's a, a trope that is used again and again and again in, film, in, in horror film, for example. But then mm-hmm. if I'm watching that film with someone who doesn't watch a lot of films, they would have no idea that that was used for that particular reason. Do you think, though, that can detract from the enjoyment of the film though your enjoyment of the film 100 percent. if i'm watching something that i know has been done again and again and again in in film it's like there's no surprise here like there are so many tropes that represent you know that they're already crumbling inside and you know you know how a is going to lead to b and b is going to lead to c and everybody's going to end up dead basically i mean we can look to a lot of like 80s horror if you think of like Friday 13th kind of horror, if you then relate that back to how when you're doing a commercial film, I don't know. I just think it's interesting from a consumer perspective as well as a client perspective. But but when you said to Lind, do you communicate that choice if you were to film something for, for the purpose of metaphor? Well, well, it depends whose vision. If the film is your vision, then you wouldn't necessarily have to communicate that. But but if you are producing a film for a client, then yes, of course, you would have to justify that choice. But isn't there an argument to say that uh, because of the nature of film, it's always going to have an audience? So the director mm. needs to be able to communicate certain things in order to satisfy that audience. It's the same. I, I would 
suggest anyway that it's the same with clients. Your, your client, in fact, there's two audiences because you've got your client to satisfy, and then you've got their audience to mm. communicate to. And so, I, what I'm trying to get at is this trope idea. To me, I think we're circling the idea that jargon isn't just language based. You know, the the tropes are a form of film jargon because you know what they mean. You know what a particular frame means or a particular metaphor means before you even get to the end of the film or before you even um, uncover it. Does that make sense? So, Lynn, what, what do you think about that idea of, of bringing in tropes to film? Do you think that's something that is helpful or do you think it's something that can detract from your work? I feel for some for people who doesn't like watch that many films and then they find it they find like some films really difficult to understand it is like good to like introduce tro- uh, tropes into into like films for for them to enjoy the film better but then for like people who are like Amy or like people who did film studies they might find like tropes a bit boring and then they they will know what's going to happen afterwards and then they they find that that kind of film less intriguing than the ones who are like more poetic or has more like political information in it yeah and i i don't really agree that your opinion about like every film has to have an audience some people some people just make films to to entertain themselves or Definitely. some people just make films to um preserve like a memory or or something like that yeah i i didn't necessarily mean a public audience but i i oh. meant um you know by by the nature if you would would you make a film and then never watch it no the thing, you're, you're trying to communicate I something i watch it again and again yeah yeah so <laughs> even if that film was just an expression that was remained private forever it still has an audience because you're the audience. You're 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 an audience of a of a of of one. You know, um, yeah. and that, that's all I meant. I didn't mean that it that every film is made for commercial gain or that every film is made to be seen by the public. But what I meant is the nature of it is that it's a visual medium. So, it, it in order for it to exist in a way, it must have an audience, and even if that is an audience of one, you know. But I understand what you mean. You're 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 right, and I and and that's interesting. Do you, if it was a private film, if it was one that wasn't for a public audience, if it's a memory, say, you know, how much thought do you need to put into communicating to your future self how you're feeling in the moment? I've actually never thought about it. That's that's like the, the film that I'm making is trying to communicate to the to my future self. I, it's, I've always thought like it's just for to express the, the emotion that I have at the moment. That's that's very interesting. That's going to make me viewing my film from another perspective. Mm-hmm. So I, there's something I've been uh, wanting to ask, um, and just taking a step back and looking at, let's say, for example, the, the filmmaking industry in general. So I was wondering, to, to what extent do you feel that the use of jargon in, in your industry promotes a, a sort of elitism or helps to form uh, an in-group and an out-group. And I, I always feel that I am I'm the one who's excluded from like the real industry mm. because, because I just came back and everything's kind of diff- different and I, lo- I know little people, I know only a few people who's in the industry. So yeah, I'm not like using the jargons that much and in some way I am a little bit excluded 
for not knowing those terms in mm, some way. Wow. Yeah. So uh, maybe then in that case, the question is, obviously you've done a lot of work on your own, but when you then do have the opportunity and you work with a larger group of people, I wonder if then you would start speaking uh, uh, in a way that includes more jargon to prove yourself in front of other people. What do you, what do you feel about that? No, I won't use it as like a proof of mm-hmm. my ability. Whereas I think if, if the industry requires me to, to learn those things, I guess I have to learn because, because that's, that's one of the requirements to enter the industry. To, to make the communication easier, not mm-hmm. just like trying to prove that I have the ability to to work with you guys. That's amazing. And I'm really pleased that that's your outlook on it because the, the, there seems to me to be this reliance on jargon to prove that you know what you're talking about. I've known people that try and use jargon and they fail miserably because they don't actually know what it means. They just hear the words and they think, well, if I start using that, then I'm clearly a filmmaker. If I had an, a stab at answering your question, James, I, I would sooner work with somebody like Lind, who doesn't use jargon, than I would work with somebody who's trying to use jargon to prove themselves. Mm. So yeah, in a way, there's an in and out group there. Lind would definitely be on my in group because she's pretty happy to put her hands up and say, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like, you know, mm. like, just tell me what you mean. And then I'd say, oh, okay, well, it's this, 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 and this. Whereas somebody who believes they know what the jargon is and they go off and say, I want a telephoto lens and they come back and bring me a 35 millimeter, a 35 mil is a wide lens. It's not a telephoto. So they're not going to, they're going to have assumed that maybe they know what telephoto means and they've brought me the thing. And then it's like, oh, okay, why didn't you just say, what, you know what focal length do you want or which lens specifically do you want you know mm. that's that's from a collaboration perspective then because for example if you said that to me i have no idea what either of those mean i probably wouldn't say it to you there because i i would understand that you don't know what that means hmm. like i've had i i have had assistants that have worked with me that do not know what a telephoto is sometimes it's kind of basic like it's just it's it's 101 as soon as you get into photography as soon as you get a camera you start learning what different focal lengths are what different focal lengths do what groups they fall into you know it's almost like maybe i did use quite a basic example there and that is why i would not be that impressed working with somebody that didn't know what a telephoto lens was because it's kind of i don't know if lind you agree with me on this but it's kind of the first first rung of technical speak it's what you learn first of all because those things make a difference to the shot that you get but that that wouldn't make me want to like stop working with someone if i see that person has a strong will to learn and grow if, sure. if that person uses those jargons and then they don't know what it means and just to try to cheat other people or try to get the job and fake that that they have the ability to 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 finish their their job nah i wouldn't want to work with people mm, like yeah. that I, I prefer to work with people who are like m- more honest and more like straightforward mm. yeah yeah, so yeah. Sim- it's a simple case of actions speaking louder than words and in this case jargon i suppose isn't it yeah 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 uh yeah i mean i i'm, I'm on lynn's wavelength there what i was saying is that i would rather I'd rather work with somebody that says, I don't know what you're talking about, than somebody who tries to fake their way through it. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it leads nicely onto a conversation that Linda and I were having before. So, Linda, you had a point about how jargon can be used as disguise, and you had a good 
comparative example. Yeah. So um, the other day I was reading and I saw a joke about uh, Jordan. So one day two thieves are walking on the street and then they're about to rob rob a guy. So like if if I'm a robber, I'll definitely not say I, I definitely won't say um, like do you see that guy over there? His wallet on um, in his left pocket is quite full. I think we can get some cash from there. You won't you won't talk to your friend like robber mm, friend like no, that, right? No. You you would probably uh, say something like, um, "Do you see that donut shop over there? Let's get a, like a chocolate one with extra toppings." Yeah. And, and I would mm. like to have some sprinkles on the left, something <laughs> like this. Yeah, and, like, yeah. <laughs> I think like in some way, Jordan's work as a disguise to to like trying to put what you're tr really trying to say on the cover like to exclude some people and like to prevent like leaking some some secrets hmm. i'm not sure but i guess um that would work in an industry that requires highly like technical stuff like maybe um or highly confidential yeah, highly confidential, like spies or. But that's that's interesting. Um, this disguise idea isn't, in my mind anyway, it's not exclusive to crime or spycraft or to confidentiality. I think it can be used as a disguise generally, day to day. You know, uh, and th and this this idea, like you're right, Amy, we have led on to this quite nicely because the idea of somebody picking up the wrong lens or whatever, their disguise is that they know what they're talking about when in fact they don't. And it would be interesting to see how many people have gotten ahead from using jargon as a disguise, whether it be in, in petty crime or whether it be in a major crime, I suppose, you know, they're, they're, there's got to be some sort of disguise, language disguise to what they're doing because, you know, they don't want to get caught. Spies yeah. the same. But in corporate, well, this, this to me anyway, this links to Amy's idea of value add. When you're pitching to a client, are you using jargon essentially as a disguise for less interesting words, less interesting concepts? What do you think of that? Sorry? Yeah. yeah. So, no, so I was just thinking in terms of, it's not just disguise in terms of I don't actually know what I'm talking about, but it's disguise when you mean what you you say one thing but you mean another and i think a good example of that is when you say let's park that to one side for now that's um, just a typical example in everyday work in life and <laughs> i think means, it, let's move on yeah, 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 yeah. so <laughs> i think disguise in itself is a really interesting word because it's not just disguising what you don't know it's yeah. what you don't want to say yeah. um, and there are many ways mm. that we do that through jargon at work yeah, that's interesting because um, we, we're we going to start a feature soon, probably on our Instagram, about um, secret definitions. And mm. so the, the idea of <laughs> the idea of you saying, let's park it, is actually like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know? no. uh, James, what's yeah. the one that we always refer to? Oh, yeah, uh, invoice received, which actually means your invoice has immediately been put to the back of my mind and will be dealt with well after the terms of which I've set yeah. and you actually bother to chase it up. You know. as, as per my last email, really means yeah. Yeah. not been yeah. listening. <laughs> yeah. Or I'm not sure if you did receive that email. Which, which means I'm yeah. absolutely yeah. sure you did, yeah. 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 How <laughs> British, how British. But yeah, it is very British. But when you think 
jargon that is actually very, very British. Mm, yeah. um, that is, I use those terms all the time. That's not to suggest that I'm always saying that I'm using <laughs> words to say something. Else. But um, no, it's, it's an interesting point how jargon is used, I guess, to be polite as well. Yeah. It's not just always about feeling like you're right and know what you're talking about. It's sure. saying things in fewer words. So it is a shortcut in a way, or maybe sometimes a, a, the long way around. But now, now you've mentioned this idea of British, that's really, um, I find that interesting. And I wonder if I can uh, turn back to Lind and, and ask if if you've noticed a cultural difference between Britain and China and how the how we do tend to try and be polite through the use of, of language and through the use of jargon. Is that the same in China, do you think? No, we we definitely don't say sorry that often. Okay, mm. yeah. <laughs> Lind, was there anything that you found, I would say, or or other people that worked within our groups would say, that you wouldn't, like terms that you wouldn't usually use, but, but over time you kind of figured out what we mean? <laughs> it's one sentence that you say all the time, but I, I feel that's... That might not be so appropriate, but really, really hard to translate like humor from one culture to another. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, sometimes you have to understand the language in order to understand the joke. And no, not I feel like sometimes maybe understanding the language is not enough. You have to understand the culture as well mm-hmm. to to understand the joke. And if you don't, you might even get like offended sometimes yeah mm. oh for sure mm. yeah that's not to say that there isn't topics of conversation and comedy that is designed to be offensive to both those who understand the culture and those who don't yeah very interesting that 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 which isn't designed to be offensive may find itself being offensive because we've spoken about this as well communications two way not just i say something and you say something back but it's more I say something and then you have to interpret it. Mm. So the control I have over your interpretation is largely down to my ability to communicate, isn't it? Mm. So when you have a joke that might just be written and you've got one way of communicating what that joke is, uh, you have no control over the um, interpretation of it. Yeah. Yeah. To maybe draw a line under this conversation um, and what we could maybe take into the next podcast conversation that we have around film. I think it's actually really interesting. So the word trope um, is defined in the art direction handbook for film. It's defined as a universally identified image imbued with several layers of contextual meaning. And I think that's a great way to actually tie this all back to um, jargon. Jargon. (laughs) But it's just the idea that a trope can then have different layers of meaning. And that completely depends on social context, cultural context, the genre of film. So you can be using the same lighting, but to create a completely different effect or meaning than if you were watching, I don't know, a a film from a complete different genre. Mm -hmm. That Yeah, I I would love to actually explore that more film specific um, use of jargon. For what the you, film fans out there. What does Lynn, the filmmaker, think of that? Without the context, the trope is not understandable anymore, right? Yeah. It's like taking a sentence out from like a, a paragraph. It mm. Sometimes it doesn't really like mean anything. You have to understand it within like a paragraph or like a, an entire piece of literature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
We went through a really interesting activity when I was studying film, and it was one of the first things that we actually did. Our teacher had taken a load of still images, but the exercise was say which genre of film that still uh, image has been taken from. Yeah. So obviously everybody's going, that's from comedy, that's from social realism, that's from horror. The exercise was completely void because he said, no, it's all from the same film. Wow. But it's amazing how lighting or a change of angle can, make, can give you a completely different perception of what you're watching out of context. Out of context, yeah. 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 And it, it was a really, really interesting, you know, realisation um, as an intro to studying film and meanings of, you know, the language of film. Well, I, I think that's something, that's a theme that's going to crop up again and again and again, is that um, communication through jargon has to be contextual because we, we mm. talk about, mm. we talk about industries and we talk about cultures and we talk about um, all the different way, uh, places in which jargon can be used. And the thing that we've kind of missed up until now is that those are all the contexts in which jargon can be used mm. it's mm. not just about being in marketing it's about being in marketing and knowing what the goal is and knowing mm -hmm. that all of your team have an understanding of what those terms are and knowing that your clients don't care what those terms are but they look good on a spreadsheet or they look good in a presentation mm. you know mm. yeah. yeah i agree i i, I think uh, i actually think context is is, is quite fundamental for jargon really because actually you know when you're talking about lenses and uh i don't know exposure filter whatever that fades and dissolves i think you mentioned earlier like if you're if you're not in the if you, if you haven't got any context there then you could be talking about anything yeah it just doesn't or, mean or nothing yeah I want a 35 millimeter. What do you want? A 35 millimeter banana or 35 exactly. millimeter ruler? But I, I think it's really interesting because I hadn't actually thought of jargon as a trope. Well, quite. Of, one thing that I've learned and that's uh, that's been impressed upon me is that obviously jargon is um, is is fundamental with language. But then, if you go into filmmaking and literature where you've got uh, tropes and motifs. They're essentially the same thing. They're just physical representations of that, aren't they, really? But, but I think maybe thinking about jargon in relation to film and literature is, I don't want to say a more simple way of understanding it. When you watch a film with, that, with the understanding of how tropes work, you can then understand how jargon is used in a working environment mm. in very much the same way and to achieve very similar outcomes. But yeah, I think what I was saying um, earlier is that um, we Just do. I'd like to say it again. Yeah, um, we associate jargon with professionalism, mm. or or sometimes lack of, I suppose. And um, it's interesting yeah, sure. to me that you could apply a word like jargon to visual tropes. And so I, I know that I, I know that it's the wrong word to like being really honest but if you called it we've spoken about these concepts of social jargon or, or visual jargon you know to me those tropes are the shortcuts because amy you you understand what's going to happen in that film mm -hmm. mm. yeah but i would also suggest that not only is jargon created by context but it's also created by knowledge like education and understanding because mm -hmm. your joe public film goer who doesn't know those tropes might not even notice that mm -hmm. that has happened. And therefore... The reason why that window is open just a crack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Using those uh, those tropes or those visual motifs, like of the broken ashtray, for example, if a, if a director or whoever has um, 
decided to put that in to signify something, then he's got a he's relying on the audience to understand what that means in the same way that if you talk about a 35 millimeter lens, I like you're you are assuming that someone knows what that is. Yes. Because the alternative is you could have somebody, you know, at the beginning of a film yeah. have a 15 minute monologue about how depressed they are and the 20 years that came before where they are right now. Yeah. You can do if you can do that through a photo hanging on the wall or a crumbling ashtray or mm. whatever. So we're getting a bit obsessed with this ashtray. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's a time saver. Again, it goes back to the idea that it is a shortcut. Yeah. But you are relying on the assumption that your audience are familiar and already understand. Very. They love it when things go full circle. I have a question. Since James mentioned that Stradens has like a sense of elitism within it, does that mean like the person who who invented like certain genres are very superior or have to be like super professional within a an industry? Like who started talking that way? That's that, that person, is that person like king, <laughs> the king of jargon? The the elitist the elitist emperor across the world yes. yeah now I, that throne is, of dictionaries <laughs> that's a great um, that's a great discussion point actually like who did start it and why did they start it and I would suggest that through the lens of it being a shortcut I would suggest that it was started by technical people through the lens of it being value add I would suggest it was started by um, superior people who thought they were superior and did their very best to increase their superiority stock by starting to use these funny words, these strange terms mm. that in context, you can guess what they mean a lot of the time. But I think the point from that, through that lens anyway, is to, is to use them out of context to make yourself feel better and to make well, maybe even more to the point to make other people feel inferior to you. Mm. The story of the word jargon dates back to the old French word jargon. No, go on, James, I can't do French. Oh, Linda, you do French. Jargon. Meaning twittering. Um, and it's the idea that uh, it refers to unintelligible or meaningless talk. Very interesting quote underneath. Maybe we can put the references in somewhere. But it says... Jargon may seem like the easier route, which is what we've said, supplying ready-made expressions without the need to think of different ways of explaining concepts. Wow. But actually, I think what we've discussed is that the, the word is, is what we coalesce around and actually we change the meaning of words over time. So I would disagree with that point that it's using a word or expression without the, without the need to think of different ways of explaining it. Because there's not Based a need to find a different way. Because meanings of words change over time. Sure, okay, yeah. And again, depending on the context. And sometimes I think using jargon can be a shortcut and other times it can be the long way around. Mm -hmm. And I think that has very much come out of this conversation that we've had. So what a conversation we've had today about uh, jargon and its contextual relevance and uh, all that good stuff. We're going to start to bring proceedings to a close now by heading to our feature. What does it all mean? And what we do here is we get our guests to challenge us with a piece of jargon that they know that we might not necessarily know and we have to guess what it is. So, Lind, what is your piece of jargon? I'm not sure if you use it in, in the UK with things like digital marketing. Uh, it's called KOL. Have you heard about that? 
I have heard that, but I'm not sure what it means. KOL. In, in, a, in a marketing context. K-O-L. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I haven't heard of this one. So this one is key opinion leaders. So it's basically influencers. Mm, yeah. It's basically influencers. In- key opinion leaders, yeah. Yeah, but then like in China, we call influencers KOL. Yeah. Yeah, so I say I know what an influencer is. I mean, like I'm, mm. I'm of the generation that everyone seems to think they are an influencer. I am. I am an influencer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's interesting because yeah, I know what an influencer is, but I I would have been guessing for the rest of my life what the KOL was. <laughs> the rest <laughs> of your life. Oh, I don't keep over it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's just an example of how journalists don't translate between the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah, we have the same thing, but. But like it's not the same word, even if like KOL is in English in some way, but it doesn't it doesn't translate. Mm. So Lind, what are you working on at the moment? I am working on some random stuff. Next week I will work in a kids play in Hangzhou Theatre. It's it's called um, Men and a Cat. Anyway, <laughs> I'll work as a production What's the plot? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. A friend introduced oh, she doesn't know yet. <laughs> a friend introduced me to the crew and then and she asked me to go there next week. Yeah. Cool. Oh, nice. And Fantastic. your role is what? Production assistant. Brilliant. Uh, so we will link your uh, Make Tank film to the website. So listeners, please go and check out Lynn's work. She's been fantastic today. We've really had a great insight into how things work from a freelance film photographer, marketer and production basis. And my team and I would like to extend our very uh, warm thanks and appreciation. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you very much, Lynn. It's been great. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Once again, thank you, Lynn, for being with us today. We have a variety of uh, speakers on this series of Incommunicado, so please stay involved with us. Amy, can you tell people how they can get involved? Yes, of course. So you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube at Incom Podcast. And that is I-N-C-O-M-M Podcast. James, when they get to those places, what do you think they should do? Uh, and when you get there, make sure to uh, leave us a like, a comment, a subscribe or a follow. Um, and you could also get in touch with us at uh, hello at incompodcast.com. And if you want to keep up to date on the old internet, we are www.incompodcast.com as well. Thanks very much for listening. We will catch up with you in the next one.